Welcome to Access Point Radio, your destination for the news, strategies, and practices needed to grow your business. I'm your host, Kyle Todd. In today's course, we'll be discussing uh, a topic that is, is all over the news right now, and that is the Payroll Protection Program. If you are a small business, no doubt you've heard about this. No doubt you are interested in looking at uh, options to save your payroll going into the future months. And as we all know, the, the information is, is changing on almost a daily basis. We've asked Rafi Yousefian and Anna Baumgardner of RYCPAs to help us wade through the current rules and application steps. Rafi? Hello all, I'm Rafi Yousefian. I'm the managing principal at RYCPAs. And Anna and I will be walking you through four different modules today regarding the PPP from basically beginning all the way through the forgiveness process. So I'll start with module one. Um, on March 27th of this year, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Securities Act was signed into law to provide more than $2 trillion to battle the COVID-19 and its economic effects. The Small Business Administration, or SBA, received funding and authority through the Act to modify Section 7A of the Small Business Act to include a new loan for small businesses. This is referred to as the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP for short. Originally, the PPP was allocated $349 billion of the $2 trillion stimulus budget, but as of April 24th, legislation known as Phase 3.5 of the stimulus was passed that will be funding an additional $310 billion to the program. Through this webinar, we'll be summarizing the key provisions of this legislation so you can understand how to fully navigate the PPP loan from beginning to end. This includes the application phase all the way through applying for forgiveness. Now, we understand that every business has its unique situation. So if you have specific questions, we'll provide our contact information in the last module so you can send your questions to us directly. We have a dedicated team for addressing PPP concerns for small businesses, so we should be able to provide guidance in a pretty quick manner. Guidance from the SBA. Given how new this program is, it's constantly being developed and clarified. We're getting new information every day. When you hear accountants, bankers, or lawyers say, we're waiting on guidance from the SBA, they're referring to primary sources for the guidance. We all have access to the CARES Act, which is the actual law, but the law still needs to be interpreted to provide applicable guidance. The Treasury and the SBA are publishing interpreted guidance and posting it to the webpage that we have linked on the slide as it becomes available. So let's go through an overview. The PPP provides small businesses with a loan to pay payroll costs and certain operating expenses. The loan will be forgiven if the funds are used for the intended purposes within a certain period of time. A small business includes any business that was generally eligible for Section 7A loans. So under Section 7A of the Small Business Act, each industry is typically given a size standard based on gross receipts or employee count to determine their eligibility for the standard 7A loan. So there's a size standard test to assess qualification, which is based on net worth of the company. These tests are still applicable for the PPP loan. 
We're not going to go into the details because it's pretty out of scope for this training and we could easily spend three hours just talking about it. But if you don't meet the test based on the other definitions of a small business, reach out to us, we can advise. So what are the other definitions of a small business? The CARES Act extended the definition of qualifications as a small business under Section 7A to include any for-profit business with less than 500 employees regardless of gross receipts, 50C3 nonprofit organizations, and 50C19 veterans organizations with less than 500 employees. It also includes sole proprietorships, self-employed individuals, and independent contractors with less than 500 employees. There is an exception for any business operating under NAICS code 72, which would be like restaurants, caterers, hotels, that all have less than 500 employees per location. So if you're wondering how some of those publicly traded restaurant chains were able to receive the PPP loans, that's how. This has been rectified for the second round of funding. So we're not gonna get into the affiliation rules, but at a really high level, it follows the similar methodology as the Affordable Care Act. The employees of your affiliates are required to be included in your employee count to determine whether you qualify as a small business employer. The affiliate rules explain which entities would be considered an affiliate. For example, if you have a 50% ownership in four companies, and each of those companies has 150 employees, you have 600 employees altogether. There is an alternate test, as we mentioned, so if you have questions regarding the affiliate rules or the alternative size standard requirements, please reach out to us. So who doesn't qualify even if they meet the employee count standards? Businesses that are ordinarily not eligible for the SBA loans are also not eligible for payroll protection loans. So this would include banks, real estate investment companies, firms involved in speculative activities, um, lending activities, pyramid sales programs, foreign businesses, gambling businesses, private clubs, and passive investment companies. PPP funds are provided in the form of loans that will be fully forgiven when used for payroll costs, mortgage interest, rent, and utilities over the eight-week period following the disbursement of the loan. So what are the loan requirements? These loans will be administered through the SBA 7A loan program and will have a maturity of two years from the date of the loan at an interest rate of 1%. The SBA will allow for deferred payments for up to six months from the date of the loan. Now, for these loans, there will be no personal guarantee or collateral required to get the loan. Also, the fees that would normally be applicable to SBA loans which would be like prepayment penalties, annual fees, or guarantee fees, will all be waived. You also don't need to establish that you were unable to get credit elsewhere. So regardless of the forgiveness piece, which we'll get into a little bit later, 75% of the loan proceeds must be used to cover payroll costs, and the remainder can be used for the interest on debt incurred before February 15 of this year, rent on leases dated before February 15 of this year, and utility services, utility payments under service agreements dated before February 15 of this year, as well as the refinancing for an SBA EIDL made between January 31 of 2020 and April 3rd of 2020. So please be aware that there's no personal guarantee requirement 
However, the application makes it clear that if the proceeds are used for fraudulent purposes, the U.S. government will pursue the applicant for criminal charges. So don't do that. So to qualify for the loan, you must certify that you were in operation during February 15, 2020, and that you paid salaries or independent contractors. You must certify that the uncertainty of current economic conditions makes the loan request necessary to support ongoing operations. You must acknowledge that the PPP funds will be used to retain workers and maintain payroll or make mortgage payments, lease payments, and utility payments. And you must also acknowledge that if the funds are used for unauthorized purposes, the federal government will may hold the applicant legally liable, such as for charges of fraud. Um, you must certify that you can provide payroll tax documentation to support your payroll calculations, that you understand the requirements for loan forgiveness, and you will not receive another PPP loan during the period from February 15 to December 31 of 2020. So after a publicly traded company like Ruth's Chris received millions of dollars in PPP loans, uh, the SBA added an additional requirement. Um, businesses owned by large companies with adequate sources of liquidity to support the business's ongoing operations no longer qualify for the PPP loan. Also, if you receive an SBA EIDL during January 31 to April 3rd of this year, you can still apply for a PPP loan. Um, if your EIDL was not used for payroll costs, it doesn't affect your eligibility. However, if your EIDL was used for payroll costs, your PPP loan must be used to refinance that EIDL. Um, finally, for module one, let's talk about the loan amount. Your loan amount is going to be limited to the lesser of the sum of the average monthly payroll cost for 2019, or alternatively, the one-year period up to the date of the loan, multiplied by two and a half, and the outstanding amount of any EIDL, Economic Injury Disaster Loan, made between January 31 of this year and April 3rd of this year, less the amount of any advance received under that loan, or 10 million. Also, if you are a seasonal business, you can use February 15, 2019 to June 30, 2019, or at your election, March 1, 2019 to June 30, 2019, to calculate your average monthly payroll costs. If you are new to the business, you can use January 1, 2020 to February 29, 2020 as the time period when you're calculating your payroll costs. And from here, I'm going to turn it over to Rafi to address module two. In module two, we're going to go through the detailed calculation behind payroll costs in determining the loan amount. It's very important to understand the definition of payroll costs in the context of the PPP. For employers, payroll costs include gross wages to employees, wages for employees in excess of $100,000 annualized must be excluded, wages for employees not living in the U.S. must also be excluded. Self-employment income, including guaranteed payments of partners in a partnership or LLC taxes partnership, uh, those are also included in payroll costs. And this actually became evident long after the application process started, but it's highly impactful. Um, so self-employment income generally includes uh, the share of 
managing partners profits in the company so plus what you've paid to your employees you can also add add in your share of the profits to payroll costs to calculate payroll costs uh, in addition you can include tips paid any pay time off severance medical benefits retirement benefits and state and local taxes assessed on employee compensation aka state unemployment insurance in this case qualified sick leave or family leave which qualify for the payroll tax credit under the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which was passed in phase two of the stimulus, uh, that actually must be excluded from the wages. So if that number is included in your gross wages to employees, you have to back that out for payroll cost purposes and when calculating it for the PPP. Also, payroll costs do not include payments to independent contractors. Uh, as you might recall from the earlier slide that Anna mentioned, uh, one of the requirements for qualification of a loan was that you need to be in business uh, during February 15, 2020 and have paid employees or contractors. But this doesn't mean payments to contractors are included in the calculation of payroll costs. I know there was some confusion around this initially when the uh, application process started, but we just want to clarify that payments to independent contractors uh, do not get included in payroll costs. All right. Now, for sole proprietors, independent contractors, and self-employed individuals, the calculation is very similar to a partnership. Um, basically, you include all of the wages that you pay that we mentioned above for employers. Um, on top of that, you include your share of self-employment income. Again, that, that portion is capped to $100,000 annualized. So now we're going to go through uh, an example of payroll cost calculation for the three most common types of ownership structures for small businesses. Uh, so we'll look at partnerships, S-corps, and self-employed individuals are Schedule C filers. For sake of simplicity, we're going to look at these calculations based on a 2019 calendar year. However, if you decide to use a trailing 12-month period, then you will need to calculate the equivalent to these models based on the selected 12-month date range. Um, and we'll get into that later, but basically you're going you're gonna to need access to a profit and loss statement if you're going to be calculating this information uh, on a 12-month trailing, um, because obviously you haven't filed your tax returns for um, there is no tax return for 2020 yet. So um, that's why you're going to have to calculate the equivalent to that. <clears throat> so in this first example, we've modeled the payroll cost calculation for an entity filing a partnership tax return, whether that's an LLC taxes partnership, general partnership, limited partnership, et cetera. Um, so let's look at the calculation. Uh, we start with the gross wages. Now, this number can be pulled from your 941s, your quarterly 941s filed by your payroll processor. So if you look at line 5C, column 1 on your 941, that's going to be your Medicare wages. So I just we just used some uh, example numbers here. Um, so let's say that number for the entire year, for all four quarters added up, is $300,000. Then we add your self-employment income. And this number can be pulled from your 2019 Schedule K-1s. This is, again, assuming you're a partnership. Uh, you're going to get line 14 on the K-1. You're going to subtract line 12 from it. As line, 12 is, uh, line 14 is your self-employment earnings. 
and line 12 is your section 179 deduction. So it's gonna be net of section 179 deduction. You're gonna multiply that by 0.9235. And that's basically, um, that 0.9235 is 100% minus 7.65% for your employer portion of Social Security and Medicare tax. Um, and that's gonna give you your self-employment income that you can use to calculate the payroll costs. If that number is higher than $100,000, so if your share of, um, of your uh, self-employment earnings for all the partners divided by the number of partners exceeds $100,000, you, you have to cap it. And this, in our example, it doesn't exceed $100,000, but if it did, you would have to cap it. So if, let's say you have $500,000 total self-employment earnings um, between four partners, you obviously have to cap each partner's at $100,000. You can't use the full, full $500,000 divided by four. So next we have the employer contributions to health insurance. Um, you can calculate this manually, um, or you can just pull the number from line 19 of your form 1065. Um, you just have to figure out the portion of line 19 that is attributable to employer health insurance. And whoever prepared your tax return should be able to answer that question. Uh, so, that's the employer portion of health insurance. Then we have the employee pre-tax contributions to health insurance. Now, line one, Medicare wages, where it says gross wages, that doesn't include employee pre-tax deductions for health care. So we have to add that back to gross up the payroll number. Otherwise, you're understating your payroll costs, right? Um, so that can, that will need to be calculated manually, uh, based off of, again, maybe whoever prepared your tax return should have that information. Um, if you're reporting that through payroll, you can pull the numbers from payroll, or you can pull your statements or your bills for your health insurance premiums and use that, um, as, as your resource or as your source. Then we have the employer contributions to retirement plan. So this number can also be pulled from your form 1065. This would be line 18. And that line should include only retirement benefits. So you should be fine that you can just pull it directly from the tax return. And then finally, the state unemployment insurance. Uh, this, you can get this information from your payroll processor. It is in the quarterly state unemployment filings. So you're gonna add that into your total payroll costs as well. So in this example, we have a total annual payroll cost of $391,000. Uh, you divide that by 12, it gives you your monthly average payroll cost of $33,583. You multiply it by two and a half, gives you $81,458. If you don't have an EIDL, outstanding EIDL, that becomes your loan amount. If you do have outstanding amount of EIDL, then you add that back which gives you your total loan amount, and in this case, $101,458. As you can see, most of the information for the calculation can be pulled directly from income or payroll tax returns. If you haven't filed your income tax returns, then you can get most of this information from your payroll processor or accountant, like I mentioned. The only way you can calculate self-employment income without a tax return, realistically, is by having an accurate profit and loss statement are the equivalent income, expenses, profit.
Almost all payroll processes are creating custom PPP reports that calculate payroll costs for you. However, uh, be aware that if you're using a PPP report from your payroll processor and you did not report your employer contributions to a retirement plan or employer portion of medical insurance premiums through payroll, then these amounts will have to be added back manually to your payroll costs like we did in the above section. So just be aware of that if you're planning on using some of these like pre-made pre reports in the payroll processing system. All right, so this brings us to our next example. Um, again, we're calculating payroll costs, except this time for an S corporation. I won't go through these calculations in detail. Um, we're gonna give you access to all these calculations in a spreadsheet in the course materials. Yeah, it's exhibit one if you wanna, if you're looking for the spreadsheet. Uh, but basically this is the same calculation, but for an S Corp, the main difference here from the partnership calculation is that S Corporation profits do not generate self-employment income uh, or earned income. Therefore, these profits are not included in payroll costs. However, the salaries of the shareholders are included in gross wages. So if your S-Corp was profitable during the applicable date range and you didn't pay any owner salaries, then you will not be able to use any of those amounts received by owners towards payroll costs. So um, just be aware of that. So the next calculation is for self-employed individuals. The calculation for a self-employed individual or Schedule C file, filer is almost identical to the calculation of a partnership, except for the self-employment income is not reduced by the 7.65% attributable to employer portion of Social Security and Medicare taxes. Uh, so you don't have to do that 0.9235 calculation. Um, and again, this will be in the exhibit that will attach to the course material, so you can access this information and the spreadsheet and all the calculations. Um, most of the information in this calculation can be retrieved directly from the 1040 and payroll tax filings of the applicant. Um, again, if you haven't filed or prepared your tax returns, or 1040 in this case, for 2019, then you'll need to calculate the equivalent to these line items. All right. Finally, uh, providing an accurate cal calculation of the payroll costs we just discussed is the responsibility of the borrower, okay? And the borrower attests to the accu accuracy of those calculations on the loan application. So it is your responsibility as a borrower to make sure these calculations are correct. Now, the lenders are expected to perform a good faith review of the borrower's calculations and supporting documents. Uh, but ultimately, responsibility, responsibility is the borrower. So just be aware of that. Um, you shouldn't just assume that uh, if you do make a mistake, the, the underwriter might catch it or the lender will definitely catch it and correct it for you. So you want to make sure your payroll cost calculation is as accurate as possible. Um, you can also, if you're looking for a template to calculate these payroll costs, if you could just Google payroll cost calculator template. A lot of banks and payroll processing companies um, are offering guidance and posting their own Excel-based uh, templates or spreadsheets to help you calculate this. All right, so that's it for the payroll cost calculation. Now we're gonna get into our first knowledge check. 
this is a multiple choice question. When calculating payroll costs, the earned profit or self-employment income of a partner or self-employed individual is A, irrelevant because it's profit, not payroll costs. B, consider payroll costs because it's money that the person worked for, which is equivalent to paying an employee wages to do the same job. Or C, allowed only up to 50%. So I'm gonna give you some time to think about this. So the correct answer in this case would be B. And that's because self-employment income is of a self-employed individual or partner that is actively involved in managing the business uh, is included in payroll costs. So the answer is B. All right. Now that brings us to module three, where we're gonna show you how to apply for the PPP or fill out the application for the PPP. All right, so you've figured out the basics, you've got your payroll calculations, now how do you apply? You can apply through any existing SBA 7A lender or through any federally insured depository institution um, a federally insured credit union, farm credit system institution, any of those institutions that are participating. A few weeks ago, online fintech lenders were granted the eligibility to provide PPP loans as well. This includes Cabbage, Intuit, PayPal, all those guys. Um, these online lending solutions have provided a very user-friendly, automated, streamlined application process, so it's very easy to go through their applications. Basically, they're speeding up the process by automating a large portion of the application process, like uploading and compiling the documents, and then they go ahead and push the applications through to the SBA. Most of the banks have implemented a similar platform by now as well. So if you wanna see an actual application, you can take a look at Exhibit 2. Um, we have an example of the Paycheck Protection application and up here in the first section you have the information where you enter most of the information about the business so you have your legal name your uh, your tax tax number tax ID numbers all your contact information followed by your loan calculation amounts so this is where you're going to input the numbers that we went through in module two for the payroll calculation. You will only input the average monthly payroll and the sum of the average monthly payroll multiplied by two and a half plus the outstanding amount of any EIDL. Now there has been some confusion about the number of employees that you enter. Some are interpreting this to be the average number of full-time employees during the period. Some are interpreting this to be the total number of employees for the period and some are interpreting this to be the average number of employees during a time period. We've recently found out it's been clarified that this number should be the average number of employees, both part-time and full-time, per pay period during the time period used to calculate your payroll costs on the application. So this is the number that will be used to determine if you are under the 500 employees.
The loan amount calculation section is followed by, down here, the applicant ownership information section, which asks you to add ownership information about all your partners owning 20% or more of the business. In this section, you'll also answer some questions about ownership to determine eligibility for the loan and so that the SBA can apply the affiliation rules. Question four requires you to state whether you have received an EIDL between January 31 and April 3rd. And if you answer yes, then you also need to include the amount of EIDL used or received in the top section for the loan amount calculation. Then you're going to answer some additional eligibility questions and finally get to the certification section which is on page two, um, which requires you to certify that you qualify for the loan under the qualification criteria that we talked about earlier um, in modules one and two. The exhibit that you have also includes two additional pages. It's just some information, instructional stuff that we're not gonna cover here. It's mostly just something you should read through and understand, but that is the application. It's pretty clear and I'm going to turn it back to Rafi for module four. All right so let's assume we've applied and the application has been approved by the lender or the bank and the SBA loan documents have been issued and we sign the SBA loan documents. The lender at that point has 15 days to issue, to issue the funds to the borrower. So let's say the funds have been issued and the clock starts ticking. So this brings us into module four, which is about loan forgiveness and how do we get the amount of the loan or the entire amount of the loan forgiven. Um, so 100% federal guaranteed loans at a very reasonable rate with a payment deferral of six months. That's where we're at. Believe it or not, it gets better. So these loans will be forgiven, thus classifying it as a grant to the extent that the proceeds of the loan are spent on the following expenses during an eight week period beginning on the date of the loan disbursement. Okay, the, the, the groups, the, the expense categories that you must spend the proceeds on for it to be forgiven are payroll costs, as we just mentioned, and we went through. Um, payroll costs must account for 75% of the amount forgiven. So not only do they, not only must they be 75% uh, of the total cost used for this loan in general, but they must also account for 75% of the amounts forgiven. Then you have mortgage interest, rent, and utilities. Any amount spent outside of the eight-week period will not be forgiven and will remain as a loan. Uh, the loan, uh, as we mentioned in earlier slides, will be a two-year loan from the date of the, the actual loan documents, the execution of the loan documents. So keep that in mind. Uh, I wanna bring up an interesting point here. So remember that the loan must be used 75% on payroll costs and 25% on interest, rent, and utilities. <coughs> uh, Currently, the, the way the law is written and interpreted in terms of interest is that you can spend the proceeds of the loan on interest, but the amount forgiven is actually only limited to mortgage interest. So I don't know if this was done on purpose or if it was a mistake or if they're going to provide further guidance um, in the next round of interim final rule guidance from the SBA 
but the way the law is written right now is that's 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 what it means is you, the, the amounts forgiven are limited to mortgage interest. Uh, and I just want to make it clear that loan forgiveness as of today, April 27th, there's very little guidance in regards to this process. Uh, most of the guidance that has been issued was around the first phase of the whole application. Um, but I believe SBA is going to rush out uh, to get to get guidance around loan forgiveness as well, because there's still a lot of questions that are left unanswered. So this brings us to the next point. What will impact the amount that is forgiven? Um, so if you reduce your workforce during the eight-week period, then the amount forgiven will be reduced by the same percentage. This, per, this percentage is calculated by comparing the number of average full-time equivalent, aka FTE employees, for each pay period during the eight-week period to the average number of FTE employees between either January 1st, 2020 and February 29, 2020, or February 15, 2019 through January 30th, 2019. If you're not a new business, it's gonna be February 15, 2019 through January 30th, 2019. So they're basically comparing your, uh, your FTE employee count during the eight week period related to how you, you know, number of uh, FTE employees that you normally have. Um, however, the reduction in loan fit forgiveness for reducing your workforce will not apply if you laid off your workers between February 15th, 2020 and April 27, 2020, then restored your entire workforce by June 30th, 2020. You can restore your full workforce at any point before that. But in order to get the full amount forgiven, the full amount of payroll costs and, and other 25% costs forgiven, you need to have your entire workforce restored by June 30th. And that's going to be based off of full-time equivalent FTE employee count. So what else is going to impact the amount forgiven? So this brings us to the next slide. The forgiveness will also be reduced if you reduce the salaries and wages to employees making less than $100,000 annually by more than 25% during the eight-week period. The comparison period will be the most recent full quarter that these employees were employed. So this is obviously designed so that you don't rehire your entire workforce, but only pay them half of what they were earning last quarter. Right? The, the purpose of the Paycheck Protection Program is to bring employees back on payroll and get them paid what they were getting paid before. Um, just based off of how it's designed, that's, that's the overall focus of this program. With that said, as long as you maintain your monthly average payroll and spend the remainder of the funds on additional payroll um, or utilities, mortgage interest, or rent in the eight-week period, then you shouldn't have a problem getting the entire loan forgiven, assuming you provide all the sufficient doc documentation. Um, if you laid off or furloughed your staff, there's nothing in the law that states you requ you're required to rehire the same workforce or for the same purpose. Uh, you can hire employees who would be more suited for your current operations. For example, if uh, you need delivery drivers now instead of bartenders, and you could either hire delivery drivers uh, or repurpose your bartenders as delivery drivers in order to meet the forgiveness requirements. 
Now, we're still waiting on confirmation from the SBA about this. Um, I'm just interpreting it based off of how I read the law. Um, and it's still unclear because if this is the case, then it would make the second reduction piece pretty impossible to calculate, right? If if you hire new employees, then what do you compare their wages to if they weren't working in the comparable period? So that's the dilemma. So that's why we're still not 100% sure about this, but the way the law is written, there's nothing that says you can't do this. Um, also, if you applied and received an EIDL, Economic Injury Disaster Loan, and there was an av initial advance up to $10,000 issued, uh, this amount will be deducted from the loan forgiveness amount on the PPP loan. So the the forgiveness piece of this of the PPP is going to be done through a separate application process. So this brings us to the next slide. Applying for forgiveness. To qualify for, for, for forgiveness, the borrower must submit an application to the lender providing proof of expenditures. The borrower will find out within 60 days. Again, this is subject to change. I imagine it's going to be a lot sooner than that. Um, within 60 days of applying for forgiveness, if their debt will be forgiven. The loan forgiveness will trigger uh, cancellation of debt income, which will not be subject to income tax. Uh, however, it is not yet certain, but likely, that you will receive the benefit of the tax deduction for expenses paid with the loan proceeds without triggering, triggering taxable income for the loan forgiveness. So you're gonna be receiving a double benefit if this is the case. Uh, the following documents will need to be submitted to substantiate the request for loan forgiveness. Uh, first, documentation verifying the number of FTEs, our full-time equivalent employees on payroll, and pay rates for the following periods. Each of these periods, you know, was mentioned in previous slides in one way or another, um, either based on payroll calculation or reduction in loan forgiveness. Um, these periods are all very relevant and important when, when determining loan forgiveness. So uh, again, number of FTEs, pay rates and payroll for the eight week period after the loan was dispersed. February 15, 2019 through June 30, 2019. January 1st, 2020 through February 29, 2020 um, for new, new employers, people that were not in employers who were not in business in 2019. Uh, February 15, 2019 through June 30th, 2019 for seasonal employers. Uh, February 15th, 2020 through April 27, 2020. Now this is the time range, as you recall, uh, which you were permitted to lay off employees as long as you rehire them by June 30. So they're gonna wanna see this proof as well. Um, in addition to that, quarterly, fine, quarterly form 941s and the state unemployment filings or reports or payroll processing records will satisfy these requirements. Um, and finally, you will also need to provide evidence of payments for the retirement benefits, the health insurance contributions, rent, utilities, and mortgage interest uh, payments that you're claiming for forgiveness. Um, you can use clear checks, payment confirmations, bills, et cetera, for that eight-week period. So let's jump into some real life scenarios to illustrate the loan forgiveness process. Um, so this brings us to scenario one. 
In scenario one, we're looking at a restaurant who had monthly sales of about $120,000, monthly payroll of $60,000 that it paid out. Of that 60,000, 24,000 were tips usually, and 36,000 were wages. Their monthly rent was $7,200 a month, and their FTE count was 20 employees. Now, uh, we've, we've tried to keep this as simple as possible, so we're gonna assume all other variables are constant and they don't affect this calculation. Um, and this is pre-COVID-19. So uh, post-COVID-19, uh, this restaurant quickly shifted to delivery only after the stay-at-home orders were implemented. As a result, they now have monthly sales of $30,000. Their monthly payroll has also been reduced to $15,000. Uh, $6,000 of that is goes to tips. $9,000 goes towards wages. Their rent has remained to $7,200. The rent has remained at $7,200 and their FTE employee count has been reduced to five. Now, for sake of simplicity, we will assume beginning cash balance on April 20th, which in this case is gonna be the same day they received the loan. We're gonna assume cash balance was $0. Um, and on the same day, they were awarded $150,000 in PPP loan proceeds. Uh, now, that $150,000 is based off of their monthly payroll costs, 60,000 times 2.5. All right, so let's look at the calculation. Um, and in these scenarios, we're gonna assume eight weeks and two months are the same thing just to keep things straightforward. So scenario one, uh, restaurant without FTE restoration by June 30th. So in this first scenario, we're gonna assume the, that same restaurant that we just described does not rehire all of their employees by June 30th. Here's what the cash flow would look like. Um, so let's walk through this one. They received 60,000 in cash from sales. Uh, this covers the period that we're talking about, April 20th through June 30th. Uh, $12,000 in cash from tips and $150,000 cash from PPP loan proceeds. So that's all the cash inflow. They spent 44,400 between payroll and rent during the eight week period following the loan. Of the total 44,400, 75% of that amount must be attributable to payroll costs. So in this case, uh, the total amount eligible for forgiveness would only be $40,000. And we got that number by getting your $30,000 payroll costs and dividing it by 0.75 or 75%. Okay, so that means because they only spent $30,000 on payroll costs, the total amount eligible for forgiveness will be $40,000. Okay, so then the next step is we have to reduce their um, eligibility for forgiveness by the amount that they reduced their workforce by. Because their workforce decreased by 75%, right? It went from 20 FTEs to five FTEs their eligibility for forgiveness also gets reduced by that amount. So we were at 40K, right? We we're at $40,000, $30,000 payroll costs, $10,000 operating expenses. That is gonna be reduced by 75%. So only $10,000 of the loan proceeds is actually gonna be forgiven in this, in this scenario. So where does that leave us? At the end of the eight week period, you have $141,000 and $600 in cash on hand and you owe $140,000 to the bank. 
right? We, we received 150,000 in loan proceeds, 10,000 was forgiven. Uh, so that's where we're at. The net benefit and the way we're calculating net benefit is increasing cash minus the liability to the bank at the end of the period. Your net benefit is $1,600 in this case. So as you can see, um, in the case of a restaurant who stays open, does delivery at a fraction of the sales, uh, and doesn't rehire their entire workforce by June 30th because they don't really have any sales to support that workforce, um, they're pretty much at a break-even point. Um, I mean, as you can see from the scenario, staying open for delivery and maintaining a partial work workforce, uh, the, the only real benefit you have cash on is you have cash on hand at the end of the uh, pay period or at the end of the eight-week period in case you want to reopen your restaurant fully um, and you've retained your key employees, right? So it's... Uh, it's a dilemma that restaurants are facing right now because uh, they're unable to, most of them are unable to uh, justify rehiring the entire workforce, right? Um, so now we're gonna show you another calculation, same restaurant, except they restored their FTE count by June 30th. So full restoration by June 30th. In this scenario, again, same fact as scenario one, um, of the total 44,400 spent on payroll uh, plus rent during the eight week period following the loan, uh, again, 75% must be attributable to payroll, thus reducing the amount of eligible forgiveness from 44,400 down to 40,000. So none of that changed. Uh, but in this scenario, the entire 40,000 will be forgiven. It's not gonna be reduced to 10K. The entire 40,000 will be forgiven because the entire workforce was rehired as of June 30th. So at the end of the eight week period in this scenario, you have $141,600 cash on hand, but you only owe $110,000 to the bank. So the net benefit here is 31,600. And this is, this is pretty much what they intended to do uh, for the PPP, right? Rehire as fast as you can. Uh, the issue here is when the PPP was enacted, uh, the impression was that hopefully by June 30th, everybody, you know, everyone's going to be reopening. The economy is going to be back to normal. So again, especially restaurants stuck in a dilemma. What do we do? We're clearly not going to be reopening and operating at full capacity on June 30th. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, we have a feeling that this June 30th date might change for certain industries, AKA hospitality, but it's just a speculation. We'll see. So this brings us to scenario two. Uh, we're gonna be using a nonprofit in this scenario, uh, a nonprofit who was receiving monthly donations of $50,000 and had a monthly payroll of $25,000. Um, rent of $5,000 and an FTE count of $5, uh, five employees, sorry. Uh, this is pre-COVID-19 for the pandemic. After the pandemic, their monthly donations decreased to $20,000, but they maintained their same payroll. Rent also remained the same. And on April 20th, they were awarded $62,500 in PPP loan proceeds. Okay. And again, that's based off of their uh, monthly payroll costs.
So what would this nonprofit's cash flow look like? That brings us to the uh, next slide. So here's what the cash would look like. They would receive $40,000 in cash from donations, right? Cash inflow, um, and $62,500 from loan proceeds. That's all the cash that's coming in. They spent $60,000 between payroll and rent during the eight-week period following the loan. So of the total $60,000, 75% of that amount must be attributable to payroll costs, right? Which in this case it is. So the total amount eligible for forgiveness would be the entire $60,000. Um, the $60,000 forgivable amount is not further reduced because the entire workforce was maintained. They didn't lay anybody off, so they didn't need to rehire anybody by June 30th. So in this case, at the end of the eight-week period, you have $42,500 cash on hands and owe nothing to the bank. So uh, clearly there's a huge benefit here and um you know this is the ppp has significantly helped this nonprofit organization kind of survive the pandemic okay so those are our scenarios and these scenarios are also available in the exhibits uh, that uh, will be available in the course materials so if you ever need to just look back at the calculation, uh, you will have the spreadsheets for that. Time for a knowledge check. Um, we understand that the loan forgiveness piece is a little complicated, uh, especially with the limited guidance that's available right now. So we added a two, two knowledge check questions here. Uh, first, if 100% of loan proceeds are spent on payroll costs during the eight-week period from loan disbursement date, then the entire loan is forgiven, regardless of full-time equivalent employees on payroll as of June 30th. True or false? The answer is false. The entire workforce, based on FTE count, has to, re has to be restored by June 30th for the entire eligible amount to be forgiven. Now, um, one of the unclear items that we're kind of waiting on right now in terms of loan forgiveness is to understand whether they would be uh, maybe like a partial reduction. You know, if, if let's say after the eight week period, before June 30th, you don't restore your full workforce, but restore maybe 75% of your workforce. Will the reduction in forgiveness be partially reduced? We don't, we don't really know yet. There, there just isn't enough guidance to determine that yet, but that's one of the open questions out there. So our next knowledge check question. I laid off my entire workforce on February 29, 2020. If I rehire half of my employees on the day I received the loan, then the other half on June 15, 2020, the amount of payroll costs forgiven during the eight week period following disbursement of the loan will be A, 100%, B, 50%, C, 0%, D, 100% reduced by the same ratio in which employees pay was reduced beyond 25%.
The answer is D, 100% reduced by the same ratio in which employees' pay was reduced beyond 25%. So remember that you have to maintain at least 75% of an employee's paycheck if, if you want the entire amount forgiven. Okay, so this brings me to the last slide, which identifies what we don't know. Um, so we went through a lot of details, but you know there are still some ambiguities regarding loan forgiveness for which we need clarity. Uh, some of the most common questions are, is loan forgiveness based solely on payments made or payroll accrued or payments accrued? Uh, meaning if we accrue payroll during the eight week period, but it actually gets paid out a few days after the pay period. Are those payments included? We don't know yet. We're still waiting on guidance. Uh, and this will obviously make a huge difference. Uh, next question. Will the June 30th restoration date be based on an accrual basis or cash basis? Meaning, do I need to have my entire workforce on payroll and paid by June 30th? Or do I simply need to have them back on payroll by June 30th? So again, big difference. You know, that's an entire pay period that um, you're going to be uh, spending payroll money on. Uh, next question, will there be a partial restoration to the reduction in forgiveness if the entire workforce is not rehired by June 30th, but only a certain additional percentage is rehired? So that's what I was just referring to in the knowledge check question. You know, what if we don't restore, what if we don't restore the entire workforce between uh, June 30th and the eight-week period, but we restore maybe like a certain percentage, will the reduction be, um, the reduction in the reduction, will that be reduced? You know, we don't, we don't know yet. Um, and then finally, will the June 30th date get pushed out for those who receive the loan in the second round of funding or perhaps um, for, for certain industries? You know, there are some industries that will not be able to reopen by June 30th. Um, will that date get pushed out? So that's another thing we're waiting on. And that will probably become clear in phase four of the stimulus legislation. Um, but as of now, we're not, we're not really certain yet. So that's all for now. We have, um, as we mentioned, there were some very specific issues in there regarding um, employee count. Uh, and other limitations that are very specific to um, a business and every business is different, obviously. So if, if you have any questions, um, you can reach out to us directly. Um, if you just click on the link in the slides, then it'll take you to a contact us form. You just fill that form out and put in your questions. As we mentioned before, we have a dedicated team for dealing with PPP issues. So we will try to get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you. Well, thank you, Rafi and Anna, for this incredibly informative session. Uh, I feel a little bit better about the payroll protection program after listening to your explanations of everything. Uh, folks, we will have a, a formal um, link for you to download uh, the attachments and uh, to be able to contact Rafi and Anna at RYCPAs. Thank you both so much for your time today, and we'll touch base with you again if we need to get another update. Thank you very much.